0: Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to MUBI.com slash Film Stage.
1: Ask for money and get advice. Ask for advice, get money twice. I'm from the dirty, but that Chico nice. Y'all call it a moment,
0: I call it life. One day, one day. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j rowan and with me today we have michael Snydell. hello and bill graham Woo! and we are here today to talk about vox lux the newest film from director brady corbet and this movie stars natalie portman as well as jude law and um, we are here to review it, which is going to be awesome. First, of course, we have to get through all the usual housekeeping stuff before we do that. First of all, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show and uh, Facebook. Search for The Film Stage Show. Go to Patreon.com The Film Show to give us your money. And uh, you can find us on iTunes. Give us a comment rating there. Email us also at podcast, podcast at thefilmstage.com. And. As always, we are brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema where every day their curators select a brand new film for you to watch and enjoy, and you have 30 days to watch. So that's a constantly rotating selection of 30 films that you can check out. We also wanted to give you fine people at home a heads up, usually... We give an offer code that gets you 30 days free of MUBI to try it out. And, of course, that is M-U-B-I dot slash film But you should also know that from now until December 31st, if you sign up for MUBI, you get your first three months for just one dollar. Yes, that is right. That is three whole months of MUBI for just a dollar. All you got to do to get that super cool offer is just go to mubi.com. dot com. So if you want to try it for 30 days, though you don't exactly have 30 days, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. And when you decide that this is indeed the streaming service that has been missing from your life, you can sign up and only pay one dollar for the first three months. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. So we are here today to discuss the new film Vox Lux which, again, is out in theaters now. It stars Natalie Portman as a pop star. And um, this movie is written and directed by Brady Corbet, who previously had done a favorite of this show's The Childhood of a Leader. Um, This movie is out now. I was going to say limited release, but I just see, see on IMDb it's apparently playing in 10 different theaters where I live, which seems like a lot. So maybe it's a little wider than I thought it was. So yes, this movie's out in limited release now. So here is the trailer. So, from the public's perspective, this has been a emotional few years for you. Can you tell us what audiences can expect from the new album?
2: This is a culmination of my life's work so far. I was under a lot of stress after my accident, but that's what the show is about. It's about
0: rebirth. watch your stuff, miss. I those tables
2: so tell me how many of you have cried yourself to sleep at
0: night all right that is the trailer for voxlux a movie that gives us the genesis the regenesis, and the finale in the uh the star lifespan of the pop star Celeste, who is played in her older form by Natalie Portman. There was a moment where we weren't sure we were going to talk about this film because two people on this podcast saw it first and did not have kind things to say about it. And um, it was all hanging in the air. We weren't sure. But then one of us saw it and they absolutely loved it. And so we decided it would be worth it to record an episode on this to talk about it. So let's see who thought what. Michael Snydell, what were your thoughts on Vox Lux? Uh, I am, in fact,
1: one of the people who hated this. But I want to be clear that my my affection for this movie is kind of cleaved in half in the sense that I, I think the first uh, 45 minutes is at least relatively interesting. Uh, one thing that we've uh, kind of alighted – A little bit is that – Brian already mentioned that the older Celeste is played by Natalie Portman. The younger is played by Rafi Cassidy, who um, some of you may remember as the young girl in uh, last year's Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, So I I think – this is my first experience with Brady uh, Corbet. I, I did not get a chance to see Childhood of a Leader. But in fact, the the only thing I really knew about it was that it was an art film that took the art part of that very seriously. Um, and it had a score by Scott Walker, which is f- f- fucking awesome that they grabbed him. This, on the other hand, I, I think that it's interesting because it seems to be in conversation with a lot of the ways that um, fandoms work after, in this new millennium, and especially how those fandoms work in uh, uh, no pun intended in concert with uh the events of the world, whether they be you know uh, wide widely reverberating events like nine eleven or more personal things like uh like tragedies um I, i'll be vague even as the first minutes focus uh, focuses on an event that uh influences the rest of the movie but um after that first 45 minutes and it switches from raffi cassidy to natalie portman i found this to be a very tedious exercise uh natalie portman at her biggest has been a problem for me in the past. I, I really dislike Jackie in part because uh, the mannerisms I found so distracting uh, to the point where I, I wanted to turn oh. it off. Um, oh, you, Michael. Jackie's a bad movie too, but whatever. Correct
0: oh. opinion.
1: Uh, anyways, um, I, her, we do have one New Yorker on this podcast. And I definitely want to talk more about Natalie Portman's New York accent, which she seems to have developed in the second part of this movie, just seemingly by osmosis or something. But uh, I I found the second part of this very tedious, um, very self-indulgent in a way that went beyond like obvious comments on, uh, you know, surface artifice or things like that. And uh, ultimately, I was just incredibly unsatisfied with this. And final thing I want to say is, I think it's interesting that some people have stated that the f- the final songs are are so bad with Sia as as a reflection of um, you know her being a pop star who's kind of full of shit. But Brady Corbet has actually said that he meant for these songs to be good. So I'm very scared about what he actually thinks a bad pop song would sound like.
0: All right. Bill
2: Graham. So I had kind of the opposite reaction to this film. Um, I thought the first half was a little bit insufferable. I think the mannerisms and, and what's going on is is wildly just it it it's almost just dragging you through mud it almost seems because she is so closely connected to tragedy at that point that it's hard to get that distance and it's hard to stomach how much pop stardom seems to have latched onto her so close to that uh disaster um and then the second half, I really enjoyed Natalie Portman's performance of just like giving it her all and like just embellishing and and giving into kind of that pop star side. Um, I didn't necessarily like the music. The music is by Sia, apparently, and so like that's in the opening credits, I believe, or s- somewhere around there. Sure. And and so it's just like. I I don't know. Like, all I hear when I hear these songs is Sia. I don't hear, like, her channeling someone else. So I don't know if this pop star is supposed to be, like... I don't know. Like, I, I wish... I wish Sia's music didn't all sound the same. <laughs>
1: because like, I will say, like, as a fan of Sia, this did this sounded like really bad Sia to me.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's it just sounds like Sia. Uh, I I like kind of the opening song, the song that kind of launches this woman's career.
0: Uh, I don't know whether to call her a girl or a woman because she is she's a girl at first scene. So she is a girl in that.
2: Yes, point. and then a woman. Towards the end, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's weird. A girl um, grows into a woman. Sure.
0: <laughs> I mean, oh, that's how it works.
2: Oh. <laughs> this is biology one hundred and one. um Not a yeah, girl, I... not yet a woman. Oh, yeah. Jesus.
0: <laughs> oh damn it!
2: <laughs> now we have to play oh, that Michael. song. <laughs> yeah, now we have to play that song. um Yeah, I don't know. Like, I enjoyed the second half of it. I enjoyed kind of the the introspection of of pop stardom. I enjoyed how she is so, like, just fucked up by everything that's happening around her and also just a fucked up person, period. Um, Yeah, I I enjoyed the
0: second half, so. That's crazy because, like, you, 30 minutes in, like, slacked us and we're like, so... (laughs) We're not doing this, right? Like Yeah. Do we have to do this? Yeah. I don't know. That is amazing. Um What will I say? What will my piece be? I loved this movie, start to finish. Totally dug it. Um just because we've talked about the songs. I thought that her first song as a thirteen year old, the song that kind of gets her the attention, was very well done. And Wrapped up is what 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 that one is called. I'm sorry, what was that?
1: Wrapped up is what that one is called. Gotcha.
0: Um, and then I, you know, I was, I wasn't a fan of like the first song in her set. Um, and the audience's kind of lukewarm reaction made me wonder, like, if I was supposed to feel that way. But I actually found the final song that she sings to be uh quite a banger. I liked it. It's it's guess. funny. It's funny because, like, this last portion, I
2: don't know if it if it's a spoiler if you're thinking that something is going to happen, but, like, it's full-on. Like, I was like, oh, okay, so we got 18 minutes to go and the concert's starting, and where is this going to go? And it's just like, no, nah, it's just going to be the concert. Yeah,
1: welcome
0: right <laughs> to this concert.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I definitely right. – i definitely was worried that something was gonna happen <laughs> so you weren't alone in that bill
0: <laughs> i think um i think that's to the film's credit i think like we can get into it but i i really it, i really that's this a ma- movie Then and that's I, a major um, spoiler guys sorry, see, what is there, was
2: that i said i said was that a major spoiler then no
0: i don't think no. so just, i think like, the beginning is a spoiler I don't know what counts as a spoiler or not in this movie because this movie is very much a character study and I think I think that even even knowing that quote unquote nothing happens in the end, you know, just in like a grand guignol kind of way, <clears throat> doesn't really distract from the power of seeing this woman who we've charted from like her her nascent stage up till now, you know, performing and doing her thing and interacting with an audience. Um I will say that, like, <laughs> I, I didn't read any reviews or anything before I, I saw this movie. I didn't watch any trailers. I was like, Brady Corbet, Natalie Portman. I'm totally down. I didn't even realize Jude Law was in this movie until the opening credits started. Um, so that was quite a shock. And uh, also a shock, uh, Willem Dafoe is the narrator of this movie. And he actually narrated one of my favorite uh, documentaries, which was about the sinking of the whaling ship Essex. And I think he's just got, like, a great voice for um, narrating slow-moving tragedy. Brian, I, I love that just the
1: documentary you just described is the, the most Brian documentary I've ever – I've never heard of.
0: It is It is the story of the whaling industry in Nantucket and uh, across the United States as told alongside the sinking of the whaling ship Essex. So yes, quite a Brian Rowan thing to like, uh, especially because it is, again, narrated by... Why did I say Christopher Walken? Um, <laughs> Willem Dafoe? Yeah, I don't know what was wrong with me. Um, narrated by Willem Dafoe. But yeah, I uh, I dug the hell out of this movie. I, I found it to be pretty much what I would expect, like, it's a crossbreed, like the childhood of a leader with a star is born basically. And just be like, yeah, this is, this is what I, this is what I came to expect. And all of the, all of the weirdness, all of the discomfort, all of the sort of operatic nonsense, you know, I just like, it's totally on par, like with what I was expecting. Corbet is a provocateur. I, um, I spoke to him once when he, uh, when he was in Simon killer which is a movie that I don't know if you guys saw it, but I don't think a lot of people liked that movie, and I I goddamn loved it. <laughs> and that was Antonio Campos? Correct. Yeah. And um Antonio Campos wrote it and Corbet and Campos and uh Mati Diop were the story credits on that. Hmm. And um you could find that interview somewhere on the film stage, I'm sure. <laughs> but um yeah, I I dig him, and he you know he he worked with a lot of a lot of like heavy directors. Like he worked with, in Melancholia with Lars von Trier, and he was in uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene, and I feel like he just has that in him. Uh, wh- who was the other one? Oh oh, he was in uh, Funny Games, the American remake of Funny Games. So, like, yeah, that's that's who he is. Like, this is his thing. And, like, if you're not prepared for it or if that's not what you want, it's going to piss you off and make you angry probably. Um, is he but. kind of an auteur from the word go? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I mean, Childhood of a Leader is I – I can't even, like, remember – my full reaction to it. I feel like it's one of those movies where I like when it ended, I went back 30 minutes and watched the the final 30 yes. minutes again. I so it's just like, is that what the what the shit is happening? And mm-hmm. it was just it's it's sort of like this movie in that, like, you spend so much time with someone for one part of their life. And then it's not like uh, an everything but the kitchen sink Wikipedia entry. It's like, all right, hard cut. Now we're going to jump ahead a bit. And I find that kind of storytelling exhilarating. And in this movie, I found that so much more interesting than these movies that are like, let's watch the slow decline of the innocent into this like corporate (laughs) creature. Uh, It's just it's so much more interesting to me to be like, okay, that's where we leave our heroine now. Let's see how she fared. And (laughs) yeah i uh i found like every every beat and every moment of this movie like totally exactly what i was hoping for from it and um it was funny that we were like oh man like i hope one of us likes it because like i finished it and i was like ah oh, fuck do i have to reshuffle my top 10 of the year again because that's just gonna be a pain in the ass for me
1: god damn it brian don't get this in our fucking top fifty. <laughs>
0: It's going to happen. I think I did that one year. I think I was like the only person who voted for one thing, but I voted for it so high (laughs) that it became part of the top 50. Triple nine. That would be hilarious. Jesus. Oh, God. (laughs) I love that Just the words triple nine can grind this (laughs) podcast to a halt. I wonder, I can't even remember how high up on my list that was. I feel like it was pretty high. I don't think it was high enough to get it in anywhere, though. <laughs> <laughs> it would be funny, though. I'm ah. pretty sure also people would have been furious with me for that. Yes. But yeah, I, um, I dug this movie. I really enjoyed it. I uh, I enjoyed every second of it. Hmm. Yeah. You'll be happy to know that Triple Nine was my 13th film of that year. So I don't oh. think so. <laughs> didn't quite make
1: it to the top 10 okay uh enough triple nine talk so what do what do you guys think is the best way to kind of talk about this movie should we just talk about it uh chronologically
0: we could could, like hop into spoilers just like crazy i will say yeah um, i think so for anyone who wants to know my opinion as a new yorker (laughs) (laughs) yes please i found her super authentic in a very disconcerting way what (laughs) i have been in restaurants near women like her I have had conversations on the phone with people like her and it is, yeah, I I heard her talking in this movie and I was like, oh my god, that is Staten Island like some shit right there. But But people who grew up and didn't even seem to have a trace of that? I think she did sort of have a trace of it though. Is this, not to like... Not to not to drag the listeners through our Slack conversations too much, but were you saying that the young girl sounded French to you? I did. Raffi sounded European. uh, I I disagree. She definitely had a bit of the Staten Island thing going for her in that. Like I I, and in fact, it was funny because like I heard her talking and I was like, she is definitely doing a Natalie Portman, but like it's clear Mm -hmm. to me that Natalie Mm -hmm. Portman is going to be doing like an accent. And mm-hmm. when she says
2: yeah. all like, I, all I heard when she talked is Natalie Portman. Yeah. Like I, I was just like, wow, sure. this is, this is really a really good Natalie and Portman impression of Natalie import Natalie Portman doing some other like language impression. Yeah, like, I,
0: um, I yeah. found myself <laughs> truly wishing that I had bothered to see this, um, before the, uh, what's McCall it it's, the the things that I had to do the the Washington Area Film Critics Association because I think I would have given this uh, this young actress uh, Raffi Cassidy I don't know how old she is uh, but we <sighs> in the Washington Area Film <laughs> Association we have a uh, uh, what's am what I call it like a promising young actor like performer award. yeah and I if she was below the age of twenty when this filmed then she would have gotten it <laughs> a, a nomination at least. But this has been a startlingly good year for for young performers. I,
1: I would have wrote that. <laughs> Are you okay, Michael? No, I am. I am. You know what? Maybe, maybe what this is is this is just the moment that my prejudice for Staten Island accents has been has been revealed because I, I just that Michael I found Michael
0: Slidell hates above all else <laughs> an incorrect. Ass- assertion of the way that local yeah. politics in Chicago works and Staten Island accents.
2: Hates some, hates some, hates them. I found her so annoying in this
1: movie. I, and Maybe Natalie Portman. Like, hate I, wow. Staten Island. Wh- why? Who, who else is from Staten Island? Let's, no one let's important. play
0: this game. There's a reason <laughs> that you can't name anyone from Staten Island. Is I'm Andrew sorry. Dice Clay from Staten Island? I think he's I don't know. He honestly, I say this as a Queens guy. Andrew Dice Clay seems like he's from Queens. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and like, you know, I it, I just yeah, it's hard to say. Um, Andrew Dice Clay was apparently born in New York City. Now that could still be Queens, depending on. Oh no, he was born in a uh, in Sheepshead Bay, uh, in the neighborhood in Brooklyn. This is important. We dodged that bullet. Way to go, Queens. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna type in people from Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just turn this into a whole thing. Like it's the Staten Island cast. John Gotti, oh or Gotti if you're Michael Snydell. God damn. Born in the Bronx, <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty sure that he spent a lot of time in Queens. In fact, I think my grandparents used to live near him. Anyway, what we're talking about is no, I'm I, good found, these I, fa- <laughs> I found tangents. I found. Natalie Portman to, yeah, she's huge in this movie. Like she is going big, but I kind of dug it. Like, you know, we had earlier this year, the kind of OG shucks, wilting, like kind hearted representation of like pop music in a star is born. And I kind of okay. love that. She's like, what if I do the opposite of that? Like, what if I'm just like an asshole and a loud confrontational asshole? And like, and there's a line that the narrator has where it was like this, she saw is like one more flame in the fire of like the witch hunt that she'd been (sighs) undergoing for years. And I'm just like, yeah, you didn't even really need to tell me that because I can 100% see that in her performance. Um, the folks Stevie. behind the music narration is is very good. I, I, I will give you that. I love it. I love the narration in this movie. And this is one of those things like when we had when we did Suspiria, and we were talking about it, and I was like, "Really, really, guys, it's got to be it's got to be six acts and an epilogue with these titles and everything." And the the way that I, I was, I, I I think that someone on the, the episode came back at me was. Like yeah, like give me that pretension. Like I'm totally down for that pretension, and I think that Vox Lux is a case where like I'm totally down for that pretension. Like it's it's called like but, like I said the the chapters are Genesis, <laughs> re-genesis, and regenesis, and then Finale, and I'm just like, yep, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, those are precisely the type of chapter titles that I, as like a student in high school, would have chosen for like a short story that I wrote. And that is totally yeah. fine with me, because that is the, the level that we're working on here.
1: We haven't even mentioned the complete rolling credits during in, the introduction of, of the entire... It's at I, I don't know if it's everybody involved with the movie, but it might as well be, given how long it the
0: credits... It legitimately seemed like it was the entire credit sequence. Yeah, and,
1: right. and then brings it back at the end, obviously. But yeah, yeah like the flourishes are things that like i I, on some level i can i can i can agree with the idea about the pretension there's one scene in particular i like that goes on way too long where it's a thick shot of um of celeste and uh a a man a, a young man who she I believe she just lost her virginity too. And they're just having this long conversation on this chase lounge, like looking out over uh over the balcony. And like the shot goes on forever.
0: Yeah, she's standing yeah, and he's like kind of lazily moving around behind sure. her. And
1: yeah, and even his like delivery is like this somnambulant like monologue that's just filled with just these pretentious one-liners and things and like that i i can somewhat appreciate like there's a certain level yeah like i i i get that like he's leaning into that there i I can i'm less into it though when i feel like like some of those flourishes (sighs) I don't know. They started to, start to feel a lot more static to me the longer we went along. Like I guess we can get more specific, but but just in terms of the pretension, like that was one scene early on where I'm like, "All right, I can dig what you're what you're, uh, what you're doing here."
0: So I'm just gonna, uh, Bill. Did you have a final thing to say before I just we rip the band-aid off and we go with spoilers? Nah, fuck no. Nah. Okay, Rick, ripping the band-aid <laughs> off. Spoilers. Um, so that that scene you're talking about, Michael for me, was such a great kind of moment, because so, the thing that we still haven't talked about is the fact this movie opens with a school shooting. Um, and what is the shooter name, Brian? Shooter's <laughs> name is Cullen Active. He is in every an sense active motor, an active shooter. Which, um, Shout thanks out to, to Nick Newman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Nick Newman for tweeting about that and making me have to dig into the credits oh. listing. I heard him say like Cullen Active, and I was like, I must have just misheard the last name, like sure. inactive or Active or something like that. And like, nope, it is written out C U L L E N space A C T I V E. So what's wrong
2: um, with that, guys? <laughs>
0: That's kind of my that's kind of my feeling though. I'm like I kind of dig it. I don't know why. It's super like no. I I almost want to go on Facebook right now and just try to find someone with the last name of Active.
2: Um, Active, but, but I won't. You're probably gonna. Uh, I'm I'm not are probably going to i am i am not going to make the cheap joke. Okay, okay. Good. Um,
0: so so he.
1: It'll be inactive.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. The, Sorry, that
1: Bill. Is, I'm going to scoop it up. Is, Yeah. That,
2: that person is very inactive. Whoever that person is.
0: It's yeah. complicated. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? So the, um, so she is shot in the neck and uh, the rest of her like band class is gunned down. And then the credits roll over her trip to the hospital. Like the whole class, though. Like there is like twenty people dead in that classroom. Oh yeah, it is a mm-hmm. it is a bloodbath. I, um, <laughs> yeah. I was kind of surprised to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and I I like you know this whole thing like it could feel like dumb or exploitative, but I think it totally it feeds into like her as a character throughout the entire rest of the film, and you can kind of see it already catalyzing. In that moment when she is, you know, going to film her first video and like sees a guy who plays music and they meet at a club and like they go back to to her her hotel room and they're talking and she, she says like your music is the type of music that like the guy who shot up the school would listen to. Mm -hmm. and he's kind of like oh man like you know like maybe like you know maybe like my music was like the straw that broke the camel's back or maybe like it was the only thing that could reach him and like if like you know something had been different like we like our music would have pulled him back from the edge and he's like trying to give all of this like self-important import to like this kid (laughs) listening to his music like a real piece of shit and she's she's like i just like want people to feel happy like mm-hmm. that's why I do pop music. Because like I know I can make people feel, and if I can, I want them to feel happy.
1: It's and fair like, to say that this is after a, a song right after the tragedy goes viral. Yeah. That we spoke about a little bit earlier.
0: Which um is a super dark but very realistic way for someone to be found. Like Oh, for sure. And um I found that to be really and again, like just the kind of offhanded nature with which a lot of those details are dispensed with through Willem Dafoe's narration. Like you you kind of bring him in whenever it's like, we need to just get through something that usually would be like a huge part of a different movie. Like there would be the star is born kind of thing where Andrew Dice Clay um, is sitting with all of his friends and they're talking about YouTube and like that's how many people watched it. And instead it's just like, you know, a producer said that she should change the word I to we – and, you know, within like five days, like they had a record and it sold really well. And then she went to like perform a demo. And it's like, OK, great. Like, yeah. And now we're on. And now it's all going like she goes to Stockholm, which the, the movie kind of shits on Stockholm. Yeah. <laughs> Foreign, but not exotic city. <laughs> I was just like, God damn. What did Stockholm do to you? And um and yeah she has that conversation with that guy and we see her sort of like cementing her image and and we we get this like feeling that like this tragedy and then this kind of thing that is cropped up around it has sort of sealed her forever in this moment and this like uncertainty because suddenly her grieving and her healing has already been like packaged and monetized And so to ever truly move on from that would be to like lose her edge. And she even sort of has a conversation with her daughter who much like childhood of the leader is played by her younger self. The actress who played her at a younger age plays her own daughter. Mm -hmm. It's fucking weird. And And she says like, you know, like, I like, you know, the other week, I shot this thing and I thought it was dog shit and I thought it was like going to be the end of my career, but people loved it. And she's like, you know, I've come to realize that like in this industry, there's nothing like nothing matters. Like you just have to have an angle and sure. her, her angle for now and forever is going to be, Oh, she's the woman who got shot in the neck and mm-hmm. like launched her career off of that.
1: I, I think the, the one thing though, that was a little bit disappointing about that in, as well, though, in terms of how, you know, all of the things we saw in the first part kind of curdled and have, you know, have made her into who she is then. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, it was a little disappointing to see how her relationship with her sister, Eleanor Stacy Martin, has deteriorated to such a place that, like, it's just kind of – it's just a little bit more cheap and and blunt than it is in the first half like there's something really interesting about that sisterly relationship um i in the first half and and by the time you know that Celeste seems just so bitter at Eleanor because you know she she's essentially been raising Celestine or Celeste or excuse me. It's, oh, my God. It's, Young Celeste. That's right. Her name's fucking Celeste. <laughs> <what> <laughs> Young Celeste. Um, but, like, I don't know. Uh, like a lot of things, I found the second half of that to uh, make a lot of those points in kind of a cheap way that, that didn't have, like, I don't know, the sincere self-indulgence of the first half. Like, there's just something a little bit nastier and less interesting to me, for instance, about, uh, you know, journalists grilling Celeste about uh, a horrible accident she caused or like – like it's just all of those things are, are broader in a way that's uh, – I don't know that that just took me so completely out of this movie, and out of what it was trying to say about you know the larger relationship between um, a, a fandom and a star, and you know the lack thereof of quality. Like I, I just think that it's juggling too many things, and even as it seems like uh, you know I. I I want to give credit here. This was actually uh, Jordan Rapper, our our benevolent uh, dictator, who said uh, something along the lines of, you know, it seems like Brady Corbett is doing exactly what he wants to do formally, but maybe he's not sure exactly how to communicate all of his ideas. And I think while that could lead into, uh, you know, a certain straw man conversation, I think there's something to that in – how it reflects my feelings like uh, the exacting nature of how this film is shot and edited and things like that. Like that is the most expressive and emotional part to me less so than the actual content uh, of where this uh, m- movie goes, I guess.
0: <sighs> is there, a- <laughs> I don't know. Like- I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> so it's a normal podcast. That's what you're yeah. saying. You 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 kept winding around, and my brain kept coming up with ways to like interject and and challenge you. And then, but the uh, well, you should have interjected. Already been tied in a knot. <laughs> um, I definitely like. He he is very set in his craft. Like he never feels like he's out of control or has lost control of whatever he's doing and i think that sure. um again there's there's something about the way that he wants to push buttons and the way that he wants to like evoke a response that is you know what could be called like a provocateur or like you know some some fucking assholes would probably call it trolling but i don't think that he's doing it pointlessly and I feel like everything that he's setting up and everything that all the characters are saying is towards a purpose and I find that the two are sort of inextricably linked and so uh, it's it's hard for me to look at this movie and and even be able to say like I don't know like if, if you like the one you should probably like the other like the whole is so consistent all the way through.
2: Yeah. I find that consistency interesting because I guess I didn't connect with the first part because I was so thrown off from the tragedy to superstardom that by the time we make that jump, it works for me because she's got distance from it and I've gotten distance from it. And then like, From that point on, I'm kind of able to settle in and, you know, it's more more about the story that I kind of want, which is, okay, let's see her go through all of this shit and then let's see her 20 years later. Like, I think that's more interesting to kind of catch back up with her, not – watching her kind of deer in headlights going through the rise of superstardom. I find all of that shit kind of just, like I said, being dragged through mud. Um, and then it starts to perk up and she's got her own voice and she's kind of become her own person by the second half. And I enjoyed that a lot more. Um, and then of course you have her daughter being played by, former her young her which is always disconcerting <laughs> i don't like <clears throat> truly i wonder why he has decided to do this twice in a row I was about to say, I, again <laughs> yeah it's it's so fucking weird that it's just like like i mean he's got to be aware that he did it in that's childhood
0: like, <laughs> as well yeah <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing in childhood of a leader, it's, um, I was like legitimately confused because Mm -hmm. you cut ahead and suddenly I'm like, oh, that's that guy that I've known. And you're like, oh, no, it's not. It's his son. (laughs) But in this movie, you at least have like very clearly like, oh, hi, now 31 year old Celeste. It's so great to see you. Mm -hmm. Here is your daughter, Albertine played by the same actress but clearly a different character <laughs> so it was and now little... she can show her neck <sighs> yeah exactly you know this
1: guy so, yeah. is so yeah. not for me and- <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I like like it's, it's just such a weird fucking choice i guess maybe he he just likes those actors so much that like he couldn't choose someone else to play that role and so he just chose the exact same person to play a different role that's just their progeny and it's just like that's such a weird formal choice that for so many people will just bring them right out of the movie and just confuse the hell out of them you know and it's just like that's such a it's a it's brave and b it's dumb like it's both of those things combined somehow it's like it's like wow what a what a brave choice what a dumb choice too like why would you do that why would you self-sabotage in that way but it's it's a fucking choice man
0: you know, and, like, it is is—it is a choice. Uh, it's, <laughs> I will say it's better than – did you ever watch Deadwood? Yes. Okay. I've n- I still never seen it. There but... is a character who is played by um, Garrett Dillahunt yes. who dies. I, kn- I knew you were um, going to go for this. <laughs> and then in the next season, they introduce a new character played by Garrett Dillahunt and – Well, that's dumb. You're just like – what the shit, David Milch? Like, I, Garrett Dillahunt's a great actor, but like, you couldn't yeah. find anyone else to play this new guy. And, um, he yeah, just, he did. Garrett Dillahunt. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he just couldn't give a fuck apparently. And so
2: did anybody like comment on it in, in the, in the show? Like, like, man, you really look like this guy that I knew. No, like,
0: I don't think they, uh, did. So. they, so like, they're both they're very different sta- statures like socially, and one of them has like uh, you know they did make up on him to give him like a droopy eye um I guess like he just didn't give a shit, I think you know yeah, yeah. But, but Brady Corbet, you know like there is a purpose for using the same actor in childhood of a leader, and I would say like there is to an extent a similar purpose in this movie. Where it's like, A, if you've already established that's what she looked like as a young woman, then you don't have to worry about people saying there's no family resemblance. Um, <laughs> but also, B, like, if you're trying to set up a thing of, like, she's going to have a cyclically shitty life like her mom, then that's a way to do it. Is to be like, yep, look at that. They're, like, complete genetic copies and they're going to make all the same mistakes. hmm uh-huh. So, like, there's that option. But also, it's just, like, I think that it might it might be, like, a combination of both of those. I, I'm curious if, like, in his script, he was, like, enter Albertine, same goddamn actress who played young Celeste. <laughs> or if he was, like, damn it, she's so good and I, like, don't want to lose her. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, it's... I'm, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think on on some level, the... The doubling certainly makes sense for the. St- I'm not sure if it makes sense, obviously, for childhood, but it, I, I think you are right, though, that the the doubling makes sense on some level. And you know, it, it's not even those those tricks that necessarily bother me. I, I think it's more that you know it, it, it's very interesting to hear Bill say, you know, why he glommed on to the to the second half and and saying that, you know. That first half felt like it was dragging through the mud. And I very much did find it to be like an intentional grind because, you know, it was such a raw moment where she was trying to, you know, figure out who she was. But I I think, you know, jumping into that second half then is I'm still not sure who she was. Or at least what I kind of took from it was the whole message is that her identity is, you know, is decided more by the public than by herself. But I, I guess I find those conclusions, like and and larger metaphors, a lot less interesting than how relatively personal the first half feels. So I, I, I guess I'm curious to, to both of you. Did you also see that second half as? As a very person – you already mentioned it, it's a character study, Brian. So did you find that second half very personal or did, did a lot of that kind of stand in for larger, you know, larger big ideas about uh, the industry as a whole?
0: No, I, I found this to be a lot more personal than like something like A Star is Born mm-hmm. that really seemed to like be giving a weird mixed message about like at least how, you know, its characters saw the industry. Um I found this to be much more of, like, here is this woman, and this is how her life has been wound up in this industry. And so, yeah, I I saw it much more intimate character study than, like, sweeping generalization about the pop music factory.
1: Well then what did you make of scenes like the the aforementioned one with the the reporter played by Christopher Abbott would you make of a scene like that
0: uh, she's just not good at shit like that like <laughs> she's really not and it kind of gives you an insight into like her her persecution complex which again is like exactly what you you do as a younger person like the world is out to get me I'm not responsible. Like, why should I be held responsible for these things? Like, she has her excuses, like, ready to go. She, you know, not to not to belittle her intelligence, but she doesn't seem to know a lot about a lot of things. And she can't give, like, a decent PR answer to save her life. But when the time comes, she's able to, like, clearly explain the type of wound that she received when she was shot. And, like, use that to kind of give her cover for this accident. And so, yeah, I didn't I didn't see that so much as like, oh, this industry and how we put them under a microscope. It's like this woman is like just like so surrounded by all of this shit that she has caused. And she is like battling back against it with all of the tools that she has, limited though they may be. And then you see that, like, when she's on that stage at the end. She's like in her zone and like nothing goes wrong and she performs ably and the audience loves it. Mm -hmm. Like so she can pull herself together to make people feel good as she has always wanted. But when it comes for accounting for herself and her impact on the world beyond that, you know, she's got like canned lines that she probably saw on Twitter about like being a successful woman and stuff, but like nothing else because all she knows is this is what I want to do and this is like how I can help people.
1: Sure. Or she's antagonizing Croatian terrorists (laughs) during press conferences.
0: (laughs) You know, she's inviting them to come over (laughs) and Uh see her show.
1: I I think, um, yeah, I I mean, it's clear that we saw some of this different stuff, but I will say the the one scene that especially worked for me in that second half is the kind of uh, meltdown she has right before she goes on stage uh, backstage after her kind of um, after, you know, uh, her bender with uh, Jude Law's character. Like, I I thought that was like a a really wonderful, uh, like very, um, you know, internal moment, you know, uh, an internal moment that was expressed, you know, very externally. Um, and, and, like, that was something that, again, felt like, you know, it, it was at least aligning closer to what I want between that first and second act. But, it, you know, it is it is a fair question as we're talking more and more about this, and it's only all the stranger that Bill liked the second half, I liked the first half, and you liked the whole thing, that nonetheless, like, at least two of us – felt polarized by a half of this movie
0: and I was Um, totally on board the whole (laughs) way through
1: like I I I do just find that uh, like that's not something that happens often (laughs) when we talk about films like it it, it, it's rarely quite so even I should say
0: yeah I think that part of that is because like you know the, the 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 front part you feel like she's a little more of a person sure and then in the second part you feel like she's a little more of a character and like that is 100% intentional as far as I can read it and um, you know Michael hates Staten Island accents (laughs) so that's clearly going to be an issue for him but I don't you know Borough of Parks go Staten Island you're more than just a trash dump um you're just pandering all over huh (laughs) hell yeah yeah pretty much (sighs) (sighs) <sighs> all right beach queens what up yeah i don't like you know it it, it is sure. it is kind of funny you know as you two are both talking about it and michael's just like i dug the first hour oh natalie portman though and bill was like oh you know it was real hard slog to get through but natalie portman though <laughs> and, I'm, <laughs> and i'm just like fuck yeah this movie rocked top to bottom can't get enough would have watched another hour I think Brady would like it that this way for us to, you know, be opposite mirrors. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is precisely what he was hoping for. God damn it! The first half, some people are going (laughs) to love the second half, and then there's going to be like one in one hundred motherfuckers who love the entire thing, and that's (laughs) fine with me. (laughs) And yeah, I just like I said, I found it to be like a very powerful, kind of moving thing you know just like and it's and it's so weird like the way that <laughs> willem defoe's narration like juts in every now and then um <laughs> i love that like they slow the film down and
2: i he, i like, yeah the,
0: he the, fills the, the in the gaps
2: the yeah that that yeah. scene in the street was like that was pitch perfect uh voiceover like like moment right there was just like, okay, we're seeing her walk. We're seeing her like explain to her child, like why she's not a drunk and like why she hasn't touched alcohol, like at all that day. And she just wanted to take the edge off. And you're just like, okay, there seems to ha- be a lot more behind that. And then William Defoe is like, funny, you should think that. Let me tell you about that. And I'm just like, and wait, right now, perfect. like, Yes, like like yeah, the slow-mo like I like that it it doesn't just like stop because the he understands that film is both like an audio and and visual medium and so like if he just stops the frame, it's kind of annoying and the way that he does it instead is he just slow-motions it so much that you're just like, "Okay, it's still moving." but yeah. you're still going to talk to me while they're moving. And I'm like, I respect that. I like that a lot more than just fucking freezing the frame and just talking to me.
0: Cause Records anytime match, freeze. Frame, yeah. You're probably yeah. wondering how I got here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Instead, like you said, it's, it's like a perfect slow-mo perfectly timed. And then the second that he's done, it dips out and she starts talking again. And I was just like, that mm-hmm. was, that was like so simple and easy. But so goddamn cool and effective. Mm Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Good movie. Great movie. Top ten stuff. (laughs) 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 You you better get in that top ten list. Where will it be on my top ten list? Will it even make the top ten list? Who knows? Find out. This is the problem with like a movie coming in late, though, is that like I have become very attached to my present top ten list. And so I've got to look at it and be like, ooh, do I really want to lose that movie? You know? Nah. Star is is close enough to the bottom of my top ten that like I could swap them out. Because there's no fucking way that I can have two movies about pop stars, right? (laughs) I also think it's kind of funny that we each kind of had a different song that we responded to. Michael responded to none of them. I, I like wrapped up. Yeah, well, the first one is is really great. Um, but I really liked the like the ending song. And Bill, you said that like the first song in her set you liked. No, 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 the concert? no, concert.
2: <laughs> no, no. The the first song that she sings when she's launches a. Yeah. Okay. I enjoyed gotcha. that, and then also- like. I, I I didn't re- really like how they popped it up, but then listening to it when he's like uh, the, the guy that she like meets at the, at the, what at the concert, at the gig, like when they're listening to it, I was like, okay, I hear it. I, I kind of like this. And then it was just like, yeah you don't you don't ever hear that song again
0: <laughs> and she's yeah, just like it's okay like her song from like 17 years ago man yeah yeah i was gonna say britney spears probably doesn't sing but then i'm like no she does a Vegas residency she definitely sings
2: stuff oh yeah she she before. definitely sings toxic and everything else yeah oh, i was sure. gonna
0: go further back than that like oh you know, well i mean oh
2: well for sure She probably just sits on the sideline while somebody else thinks that, to be honest with you.
1: I really, yeah, I really don't want to talk about Britney right now,
0: though. I feel like it would make me very sad. (laughs) Because you're old and you're going to die someday, or?
1: No, just because the way her life went seems like she... I had a lot of bad things happen
0: to her. Oh, ab- Absolutely, like you know, I'm never going to be one of those people who shit talks Britney Spears because, like, I loved her. Uh, you know, for, for all she has reasons, some bangers. We all are all not going to. The teenage got great boys music. loved her when she first came <laughs> out. Um, and then, like, I think I've I've openly said on this podcast that like Womanizer is one of like my favorite pop songs of all time
2: womanizer is good toxic is fucking awesome right.
0: yeah,
1: toxic's amazing
0: womanizer yeah. is like a song that i can't listen to when i'm driving because it hypnotizes me because she, <laughs> <says the word, laughs> she says the word womanizer so many times in a row that it loses all meaning <laughs> okay, but I hope you,
2: you don't your think eyes just start to spiral
0: <laughs> yeah like on the 17th womanizer in a row i'm just like yes he is a womanizer <laughs> <laughs> all
2: right i think i think we're good we're so, we're done with this. There is
0: one last thing I wanted to talk about. Um I liked, okay. I kinda liked the um the way that this movie again, just by virtue of that massive time jump, like just kind of rips her away from Christianity, which was like clearly mm-hmm. such a huge part of her life beforehand. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I ca like it's it'd be super easy for a movie like this if this were if this were made by the people who made uh, Overcomer overcomer. <laughs>
1: No, no, we haven't mentioned this. Let's talk about Overcomer, Brian.
0: (laughs) Okay, so she's a cross-country runner.
1: No. That is literally
0: all I know about that movie from that trailer. I feel like that movie trailer was just like 14 minutes of a guy being like, what's going to define you? What are you defined (laughs) by? What do you think defines your life? What defines you makes who you are? And I'm just like, I get it. Anyway, um it could be like one of those things where it's like oh this girl lost jesus and now she's lost but it's like it's a lot more complex than that like we we see her in those first moments in the um in the shooting like you know very clearly like you know let's let everyone else go and then like you and I can stay here and he's like what are we going to do and she's like you know we we'll we'll pray and then he shoots her and then you know she she is found by going to uh, like a prayer vigil and singing and yeah then like after that like you you don't really get a sense of her being like driven away it seems more like it just stopped being something that she could like have time for or like really invest in and then at the end you know it has her saying like i'm the new religion i think was her line yeah yeah And um, everyone was just like, what does that mean? Like, can you expand on that? And she's like, no, not really. And she even <laughs> says later, like, I was just saying some shit. Like, I don't know. And she's, like, trying to use her drifting away from God to, like, make herself better than a bunch of terrorists. But, like, what has it done for her? Like, what is it really – like, it, It's it's one of those things that's, like, so much more tantalizing as a character trait because it's unexplored but it very clearly informs like all of her actions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think too, that there's a, a certain like, um, there's a certain spiritual quality, even to when she was like going all over Europe to specifically the scenes where with her sister, where she's kind of having, uh, becoming more uh, promiscuous and kind of having promiscuous and having a uh, sexual awakening. There's kind of an odd uh, spiritual bent to that as well. So, so it is, that's another thing that serves as kind of an interesting contrast, but, uh, but you're right. I haven't thought about the way that uh, the presence of religion kind of um, mutates throughout that. That's a good point.
0: Yeah, and it's not like she's filled it with anything else. It's more like it's just become like a vacancy. Yeah. And um I also Oh no. What? This is about Christianity, isn't it? <laughs> yep. This whole movie is whole all time. about Christ. <laughs> Gentlemen, do you have a moment to talk about Jesus? No. No. Don't have time, Bill. I'm I'm closing the door on you. Bill, what if I wanted to talk about CrossFit though? How much time would you be able to spend on that?
2: <laughs> No, too much. I spend too much time doing CrossFit already.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Yep. CrossFit, Christ, and Chicago. Those are the three C's of this podcast. (laughs) Um, Mm. Terrifying. Um, And then I just, just because I I feel like we got to point this out. The morning after she loses her virginity and then she busts into her sister's room and sees her and Jude Law in bed together is the morning of 9-11. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, maybe this movie's terrible. Oh wait, it is. Never mind. No, this movie is fantastic. <laughs> Especially because, like, they have Willem Dafoe. Like, say yeah. something about it. I don't even remember what his exact lines were, but it was like the 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 rift between her and her sister, like paralleled like the shift and loss of innocence in the country or something. I think and he I'm said like, defile. What was that?
1: I hope he said defile. That seems like a word William Defoe would use.
0: Probably, yeah. But there's something like, there is something about the tenor of the narration that I think you really have to get it and understand the tone of it. Because I don't think it's meant to be taken as like so deadly serious as like the word choice and his inflection would have it sound. Sure. Like, I don't, like, just for some reason, like, I just don't think you get Willem Dafoe to do that, you know? It's, um, and especially in a movie like this with everything that's going on in it. Like, it just doesn't strike me as, as what they do. So, like, I just feel like there is an operatic, you know, grand sweeping religious quality to so much of the stuff that happens in this. But it's not entirely necessarily... Like true. Like it's more of a feeling than like what he actually believes. Nah no,
1: I gotcha. Okay.
0: So yeah, any final thoughts on this movie <laughs> before we wrap up? I'm good. Cool. All right. That is it for today. Um the the next time you hear from us, we will be talking about hopefully Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um would have talked about it earlier. Except, uh, you know, sometimes you make plans, God laughs, and then drops a tree on your Fios line that takes 24 hours to get fixed. Um, So, yeah, that should be recording Wednesday. Hopefully have it out to you by Thursday. In the meantime, hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash show and give us your money. In addition, did someone just fall over? No, that's just me moving, which that's what
1: that sounds like.
0: Okay, crazy. Um, in addition, don't forget that, uh, in addition to the usual 30 day trial offer of MUBI at MUBI.com slash If you buy a subscription to MUBI before the end of December, you will only pay $1 for your first three months. So go to MUBI.com to check that out. Got some great stuff coming out. You're going to want to see it. Um, in fact, what was it? Oh, the turn horse came out the other day on MUBI. Is a, Another one of Bill's favorite movies?
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, is its is it five hours long or six?
0: I think it's like two and a half to three
2: hours long. Oh. Ah.
0: It's not as long as Happy Hour.
2: No, I, I got to get through Happy Hour though.
0: Yeah, this is part of their <laughs> Behind the Viewfinder series though, where they release a film by an artist and then a documentary about that artist. So you can watch The Turn Horse and then you can watch uh, Tar Bella, I Used to Be a Filmmaker. So, yeah, check it out. Again, M-U-B-I dot com. And uh, that is it for today. So let's tell the fine folks at home where we can be found between now and the next time. Bill Graham. Uh, You can find me online at Twitter at
2: cablebfg, And then you can also find me on the Slack channel trying to catch up with all these movies.
0: All right. Michael Snydell.
1: Uh you can find me on twitter at at Snidell and and uh I actually wrote a review. I wrote about wow. vice vice it's Another not good we'll
0: be talking about
1: <laughs> oh spoilers it's not good <laughs> um, <laughs> I wrote about it uh go read it.
0: I was angry, all right, sweet. And uh, of course, you can find all of my stuff at mypersonalsite2yourfilm.net, also known as brianjrowan.com, Twitter, letterbox, all that stuff at brianjrowan. And of course, you can find year-end lists and stuff coming out of the filmstage.com, along with every episode that we have ever produced of this show. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time.